So I am back with another guest. I'm here with Rose Colby. She is a competency-based learning and assessment specialist in New Hampshire. Welcome, Rose. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I think I probably would have to say that I've been on this competency-based education journey for the last 10 years. Um, many of the efforts nationally started in New Hampshire. Um, and that was back in 2005 when we had some state-level policy that allowed us to do some things, uh, especially at the high school level, where uh, seat time was no longer the order of the day, that right. we were asking kids to demonstrate what they knew, um, and that would be the basis for credit uh, at the high school level. So that really brought on some of the first changes, I think moving from a traditional mindset around seat time to more of a performance-based orientation to what high school would look like. Um, the further we got into it, the more we realized that it isn't just about high school, right. that this is a pathway <laughs> of learning that should be K-12. through So my work initially was um, working with a number of different districts um, as they were doing that transformational work system-wide, K-12. through That did evolve um, it back in 2011 and 12 into what became the New Hampshire PACE um, accountability process or program. Yep. So, uh, so by and large, that, that has been my work, is to work with teachers, work with leaders, um, working at systems level to develop systems that work, work well within it um, to, to create high quality learning experiences for kids um, and to really move that needle off the traditional learning model into the um, personalized competency-based model. So this is a model that is really taking off across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we're here at Annika Conference, right. where there's thousands of people here, yeah. all in the same mindset, That's right. which is outstanding. It's amazing. The more we talk to people uh, all over the place, not not just here, mm -hmm. but in other districts we visit, in uh, other parts of our podcast, we we seem to to talk about a lot of the same things now that we didn't talk about like five years ago. That's right. We talk about visions, and we talk about you know, those core tenets of, of mm -hmm. learning. But we really talk about personalized learning a lot, what that looks in a classroom. Mm -hmm. So is there any, any advice we can, you can give us about the way some of the pieces of personalized learning mm -hmm. that, that you've seen being successful and where do you think it's going in the next few years? Right. Well, that's actually something I've had to think, think through a lot in terms of how do you, you know what you want, but how do, how do you now design it into your systems in a way that it makes sense for kids as they go through their learning? And I think the best way um, I put my mind around personalized learning is to think that um, it isn't just about academics anymore, number one. And so where is it in the learning where we infuse these, um, what I call personal success skills, into the learning in ways that teachers teach to it and students self-assess those. And that really becomes uh, the, the main focus for a student to self-reflect. Uh, we know that metacognition is very powerful in the learning process, and I think that's a key piece of the learning process, is when a student comes to their academics with their assets and sometimes their liabilities around particular sure. strengths and weaknesses, but then given a task for them to do, they now have to pull in some of those other personal assets that they have, be it communication, be it collaboration, some of those those pieces right. of learning that are so important. So to me, personalized learning is when a student is recognizing what they need to learn through that reflection process, um, that they're applying it 
uh, in a performance type of way to academics, and I hope that the academics are integrated. Okay. We have to go, might have to go a ways <laughs> before that's going to happen, but we're getting there. Sure, sure. So, I, so to me, that that's the the nature of personalized learning is first the student recognizing what they need, and then within the classroom and within the system of learning that there are supports for that. Well, see, I think that's one of the keys right there is that mm-hmm. we can we can talk about personalized learning and say we're doing things, but if we don't have those structures in place, right. especially about the reflection piece, I think we, I don't think we talked about reflection being like a, like a daily process, mm-hmm. like five or 10 years ago when, it, when I was teaching. Right. It wasn't something that I did. No. It, it wasn't part of it as a high school math teacher, and we right. did math, and the next the day we rang. did math, <laughs> and the next day we did math, right. and, and that's, there was never any of, of that, so what right. did you learn, what, what, what are your strengths, what, what are your thoughts about it, right. I just plowed right through it. Right. So these days, we hear a lot more about the importance, uh, as you said, about self-reflection, and, right. and, and talking about those things that we never right. explicitly talked about. Right, and it takes time for that, sure. um, and that's where I, I think... Uh, schools and systems get caught in the crossfire because as much as they're saying they want to prioritize the quality of that kind of learning, they're still giving teachers paced teaching guides right. that they don't have time to teach on the day that it's given to them. And it gets worse as the year goes on. So the teacher is really under a lot of tension to cover to do the curriculum that yep. they've been assigned to do, on which they're probably being evaluated also. Yep. And then on the other point hearing a, a different message altogether that says you need to take the time to have students reflect and and so right. it's I think there's a lot of uh, tension there I'm not sure it's all positive tension until right. there's a resolve or especially at the leadership level that says we are going to do what's most important for students in their learning and that can help clarify things for teachers so right. that when they're in that moment where they have to make a decision whether to move more towards a personalized nature within their classroom versus covering the content that they're kind of under pressure to do that they right. make the right decision on behalf of kids. So if we if if we start with those the teachers and setting up those supports for personalized mm-hmm. learning in the classroom, so one of our one of our next steps I think would be to help the school leaders Absolutely. Trying to help them support what is right and what is mm-hmm. not, because we, we talk about personalized learning and self-reflection, right. yet we still talk about test scores and teacher pace, as yeah. you said, yeah. and those two things don't yeah. don't agree anymore. No. But messages can be subtle. You know, if you're going to spend a lot of teacher time disaggregating scores and doing a lot of work like that, then that's where the teacher interprets the priority to be. Absolutely. So where we spend our time is where we prioritize our work. So if we want our teachers to engage deeply into the work of personalizing learning for kids, we have to support that with time for them to work. Absolutely. Right? And so rather than a, a, you know, a, a principal standing in front of the room, you know, taking up an hour and a half of precious time, um, that time could may be best spent with teachers working together toward sure. a particular end. So um, I think we're, we're in, at the time that we're in now, we shouldn't be asking all of our teachers to sit down and do all the same work, uh, like curriculum work. I mean, I've, I've, and I've led many a curriculum session where all the teachers are there, and I'm like, you know what, just give me 10 people who really like to do curriculum work and can do it well, and we'll, we'll bang out a great piece for teachers then to work on. But right. we, we don't, we're not thinking through the task that we're asking people to do, how to ask them to do it respectfully, 
and how to get a great product out of it. Because right. a lot of times you really don't get a very good product out of people who really don't know what they're doing, don't know why they're being asked to do it, <laughs> and all they know is an hour and a half the meeting's going to end. You know, so I, I think there's a lot of things that we have to look at in terms of leadership and how we ask our professional staff to work in terms of the outcomes that we want as leaders too. Well, Courtney and I talk a lot about language all the mm -hmm. time and modeling. It's powerful, isn't it? And we saying the right you, you you just said it the, the, the saying the right things those subtle hints that you know we don't really care about test scores but you better get them up right um well teachers are like well i don't, I don't know what to do right and then we have staff meetings that are just led by somebody lecturing to right when we're saying in the classroom that's not enough anymore right there needs to be a variety you need to know where the kids are exactly but we're still reverting in those adult situations in the wrong way right. and so the model has to go from the classroom to the building to the district to bigger right. than that right. and really basically practice what you're preaching right it's not just about the classroom yeah. in that case it's, it's all of us too and the reality is and especially the larger the district that maybe the longer it takes of course yeah, okay and that. so we might be talking about a generation to get a full turnaround I hope not I hope I, not I too. sincerely I hope not but um, but where you can get the faster turnaround, and what we know in terms of research, in terms of scaling and sustainability, is that um, the work has to go deep and not just surface. You have to take the time to do it right and take the time that you need to do it right. But then secondly, to really sustain it, the teachers have to own it. Agreed. So we know teachers change you know, year to year, and hopefully not in high numbers in any one school, <laughs> but leadership changes over time too, so you can't have the leader who comes in with this great, you know, charisma to do this work and goes at it for five years but then walks out the door and if that leader owns it, then the efforts go out with the leader. Yep, absolutely. So how do you build it so that it's, you know, really integrated into the thinking and into the, the um, not just the mindsets, it has to be the mindsets, but also into the kind of DNA of the school. Um, or the system so that, and the teachers own it. And we, as leaders, give them the time to do this work during the school day, right? I mean, that's a huge challenge, but unless we do that, it's not going to go deep into Absolutely. practice and it's not gonna sustain itself. So I think there's, there's leadership challenges, I think, for today's principals and, and school leaders, and I include teacher leaders in that also, um, as well as central office leaders to really reorient how we spend our time, what we ask our people to do, um, and the roles that leaders have within the schools. I think it's something we haven't paid enough attention to as we're thinking about personalized competency-based systems. I think that's really a, the, the next step yep. for, for, what, for what we're seeing around around yep. the country. That's that's the part that's been missing, mm -hmm. so how do we help that? Yep. So you've also written a book. I have. So And I just found out as we were talking before, it comes out today. I know it. I know it. And it was that was totally unplanned. Um, <laughs> Harvard Press has their own schedule for sure. how they do things. It had nothing to do with Inacle. So, That's funny. Perfect so, timing. Yeah. yeah. So it's called the Architecture, um, I'm sorry, Competency-Based Education, um, A New Architecture for K-12 Schooling. Okay. And what it really, what I really wrote it out of my work that I've been doing for the last 10 years, doing this work. I'm very pragmatic and very practical, um, and uh, and as I've shaped my thinking and and my work, um, it's it's come out of working with teachers. It's come out of working with leaders. I'm a curriculum person, I'm a curriculum and assessment person. So 
these things are important to me. Right. <laughs> right? And, uh, and so, and grading, I really, probably in the early stages, the a lot of the work was just around the grading systems. Sure. And realized very quickly that you don't start with grading. You know, you really yeah. need good infrastructure and support for that. But I think what I came to realize after a period of time, and I use the term architecture on purpose, um, the framing for the work is different. It isn't curriculum instruction, assessment, and grading anymore. It's it's competencies, and it, both the personal type, what I call the personal success skill, as well as the academic ones. Yep. Um, that isn't exactly content. Those competencies are big. They're big concept, big ideas. They're robust. They're highly demanding. Right. Okay, but they they just increase in complexity as you go K through 12. There's nothing magic about them. I can have four. I can have five competencies in English language arts, and they're the same competencies K through 12. But what it looks like when kids are actually applying that learning along that continuum, it, it increases the complexity of, of what it looks like. So there's evidence along the way. So going from the, instead of curriculum that's content and grade-based, grade it's these overarching bigger concepts. It isn't about taking a test on a day or at the end of the right. chapter. It's show me that you can use it. Show right. me the way you've learned you can use, or I'm going to give you a task, and now we're going to figure out what you need to know to be able to do it, which is the way the world works, by the way. <laughs> well, exactly. So that's a flip. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then um, the, instead of instruction, what I teach you, which really kind of drills in that teacher stands before the classroom in whole class settings, it's what's the pathway that the student needs to learn and how do you support that. So that's a huge shift right there. Um, and then finally, grading systems that stay open K through 12, that are competency-based, that anyone at any level can look in. I have a bucket theory, you know, so that the competencies are buckets. And, and if you're a high school math teacher, you should be able to look at that bucket of math performances that a student has done in seventh or eighth grade to maybe know your student better. Wouldn't that? That's. But that makes sense. And Doesn't we don't it? do that in education. It just. I don't that's think. why I'm saying very We've pragmatic. Never done that. I just say. Why? You know, I was a principal and uh, at a middle school principal for 17 years, and I would be so frustrated working with the student information system that we had, right. because I'd go in and I, I would literally, I'd be the one, I'd roll all the, the, I'd archive everything and then roll into a new year, and I'm like, it's like everything's wiped clean. And I right? can't, I can't get at it yes. unless I, I knew the inside of the student information system to be able and have the permissions to do it. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so true. Right. So you look at it and you say, why? But it, this isn't just a terminal event. A, a year in school isn't a terminal event. It's continuous. Right. You know, with the learning before it and the learning after it. So we, as assessors, need to be able to make the best decisions on behalf of our kids by having that information to look at. So uh, over time that architecture for me changed so those pieces will look different. The grading systems will look different, the, the pathways and how we design them for kids and how kids engage in them, the performance tasks, they'll look different school to school or district to district but there's there's a there's it's the same outside that holds the whole thing up. Right, you know? it doesn't need and to look And it's different the same. than the traditional. Yes. And so that's why I don't I don't think there's anything 
you know, one person asked me, so where do you buy that? Yeah. And I'm saying, <laughs> you know, yeah. I said... You're missing the point there. We're missing the point. I mean, could I, you know, work with a, you know, a razzle-dazzle company to sit down and say, here, turn this into a program? Probably could, but yeah, boy, yeah. I, I certainly would never even think about doing that. <laughs> you know? Exactly right. I, I'm thinking about that. Maybe you couldn't do it. It's that complex. But... Um, so I, I think there's there's nice guidelines. I like to call them guardrails. There's not, there should be ways that we think about these things, and then think about how we're going to best design it to suit the needs of our kids. So. Well, thank you very much. This You're has been welcome. fascinating. You're welcome. We will put a link to the book right in the show notes. Thank you. So people can go ahead and buy this because I think I'll be doing that later tonight. Oh, please do. And thank you very much. Okay, thank you.